You're listening to Dole Capital, a show that discusses developments in class struggle and left politics from the main streets of Chapman in the ACT to Chile and belong beyond. My name's Ben. On this show, you'll be hearing me catch up with our special guest collaborator, policy agitator and comrade Amy Haddad, who we've managed to convince to have a chat without Jacob on this show. Um, thanks for coming along, Amy. Thanks for having me, Ben. Yeah, no, excellent to see you. Um, and a big shout out there to uh, our dear friend, Jacob. So before we get going, this show is wouldn't be possible without our patrons and supporters. A big shout out to our comrades for their financial solidarity. You can donate at www.patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash Dole Capital. That's D-O-H-K-A-P-I-T-A-L. Please like, share and subscribe to our show and leave a review on your preferred podcast app. Before we get started, we're recording on Ngunnawal Country uh, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and future, whose sovereignty was never ceded and who we express our solidarity with struggles to ending continuing injustices for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So, Amy, the Festival of the School Sausage is on again. We're three weeks in and, yeah, how's, how's your campaigning feels going for the federal election? Yeah, look, it's the best time of anyone's life is an election. Um, I, I think my greatest impression at the moment is that my letterbox snails are deeply appreciative of all of the election material that, that we're experiencing. I, I did wonder whether something terrible had happened because I was at the local supermarket on the weekend and there was no one handing out. And I, I wondered whether I'd slipped into a parallel universe, but otherwise... Um, enjoying slash hating the saturation coverage of the election this time around. Yeah, a bit the same. As we said, it's a bit of tax time for leftists uh, at the moment, but a very important election because we'd like to see the end of the Morrison government. We thought we'd have a chat today about relating to and understanding the increased interest in uh, independent candidates and minor parties this election. Um, Amy, look, independent candidates and minor parties have been faring fairly well. We've increased attention from state and corporate media. Uh, in national opinion polls, they're, they're doing quite well in key seats, according to some polling, or mainly anecdotally, because a lot of polling is done on a national scale. And consistently, we know from uh, opinion polls and also through the electoral records, um, something like 30% of people consistently indicate that they won't provide their number one vote in our preferential voting system to either the Federal Labor Party or the coalition parties. So why do you think that this is the case that the two major parties are looking at and uh, may require the, the support of independence uh, to secure government? Yeah, look, I, I don't have a... I think what we're dealing with is, is maybe a long story here with a, a new and potentially unexpected latest chapter. Um, I think the, the trend to be generally disillusioned with sort of either of the two main parties has been around for a while. And we've seen that in the Senate over over many parliaments, the, the rise of um, independence that I guess we could term the more interesting and creative end of the independence <laughs> scale. Um, but I think, and we talked about this in some of our previous conversations around, uh, you know, COVID and those sorts of things. Is I think what we're seeing is is a bit of a disenchantment with sort of the political status quo and and the way big parties are operating, and people are looking to put their um, their vote somewhere closer to home. More, that's more relatable to them. 
and I think there are a bunch of reasons that aren't necessarily the same for everyone and in, 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 in every context. Yeah, and I guess part of that, um, part of that regional nature also boils down to I guess dis- dissatisfaction in a number of regions in Australia with how some of their local MPs have been faring. We know anecdotally and also I guess factually that there's been problems for previously safe uh, coalition Liberal held seats in the, in the, um, some of the metropolitan uh, areas. We also know that in regional areas National Party uh, has had a decrease in support with the say New South Wales for example the Farmers and Fishers Party, uh, Shooters, Farmers and Fishers Party um, gobbling up some of their support but also more and more independents as well, challenging the National Party in regional areas. And that's not to mention, like, you know, we won't really focus on it too much, the uh, organisations to the right of uh, the United Australia Party, the uh, bankrolled billionaire disruptor party of Clive Palmer, or um, we've got Pauline Hanses or Kerry Stokes' One Nation Party, as I often like to think of it. Yeah, big all over Channel 7, your fascist channel. But, uh, yeah, I mean, she's been having lots of free free time on that one for years now, I think. But I guess that's kind of where that's at um, in terms of what's happening there. Um, do you think it is a crisis for for, um, for liberals in, in, those, in those safe seats? Or is this just, you know, a bunch of people unhappy and... Um, Liberal supporters will just turn back to in those blue chip seats, so to speak, just turn back to the middle of this election. Yeah, I th- I don't know if crisis is quite quite the right word, um, but I, I think there's been they've been heading in this direction for a while, um, a fork in the road maybe maybe rather than a crisis, and I think that internal tension um, inside the Liberal Party about whether they're a Conservative Party or a Liberal Party has been pretty obvious for, you know, 20 years. Um, And you talked about Hanson and Clive Palmer, and and to me that's that's sort of part of a long-running trend. Hanson got in in 96, so we're talking decades now of of that kind of um, extreme right uh, xenophobic uh, sort of politicking. I think what we're seeing now is... um, a really big focus on climate change and I think that's driving a lot of what's happening and um, of the need for actual solutions around climate change so that the idea that climate change is a political issue that doesn't touch people's lives that that is over and people saying this is affecting my life and I need a solution around that I think in the in the um, I guess the inner city seats or the, or the suburban seats we're seeing climate change and then some issues around um, I guess justice and inclusion, particularly around gender, coming to the fore, yep. and to me this is symptomatic of whether the Liberal Party is a party for conservatives or a party for um, you know economically conservative but socially progressive people, or whether it's a broad church. And the, the church seems to be crumbling, and there's I think there's a bit of a fork in the road um, about about where they go. I had speculated that this might blow back on how the Greens position themselves, but I think the rise of the independents coming out between um, economically conservative but environmentally progressive and socially progressive independents have maybe sort of switched my thinking a little bit on mm. that. I, I guess what, yeah, just with that last point, I guess what it does is it, it actually, I 
think what's good about it is it actually opens up another level of debate around climate change. Mm. One that's like, well, if we all accept it's a, a real thing, so to speak, uh, and it needs to be seriously tackled, um, there are nuances to how far and how aggressive and the type of policies that particular candidates or parties will, will actually pursue. So, yeah, rather than necessarily, you know, stealing votes, so to speak, it's... it's uh, yeah, it could just see boats, and um, thankfully we have a preferential system, um, go in all sorts of directions, I guess. But, yeah, that that um, the things we were talking about, mentioning there with the... There is that, there's that there been that threat on the centre of politics in Australia, uh, partly because our preferential system enables it, but it's gotten probably worse and worse over a number of decades, as you mentioned, where uh, increasingly people have... Uh, turned away from the the two major parties or the the coalition that Liberals and National Party um, because of neoliberalism um, and then that's also happened to the the ALP on a, on a federal scale as well and we've seen those growths of other parties and the like I I guess is part of that um, in regional areas we know we've talked about this before the declining um, support of the National Party and and them losing seats seats in New South Wales um, elections has been pretty interesting. But I guess well the other thing the other thing that's interesting like you're you're mentioning there the women contesting uh, as independents is at some people are saying at record levels uh, there was one article I was reading this morning which I got from you which was talking about uh, officially there are 57 men running as independents and 49 as women uh, women running in in um, in electorates around the country this federal election it might be the other way around was it the other way around. Oh. Well, I've got, I've got it here. Maybe oh. there. Let's do yeah. some fact-checking. What are you doing here? Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, one in every two are women. 57 men to 49 oh, women. Oh, you're right. Yep. My apologies. So, yeah, I it's, it was the other way. Yeah, <laughs> no. Well, it's still, it's still pretty... That's pretty high. Mm. And I, I think also running in as an independent, a lot of people... Um, <laughs> A lot of people aren't necessarily aware of what it takes to run for politics and to run for elected office. Yeah, it takes money and time and resources. So, uh, you know, you a lot of women are already on the back burner there in terms of their ability to actually, you know, go and run. So that that that's an interesting proportion there. Coupled with, I think, that phenomenon in the independence we also have in the major parties, um, there's been a reform process in Labor to reach uh, set targets. Um, within the next next number of years i think like 2025 they want to have um equal representation of federal mps in both chambers uh and they've been sort of hitting that one uh, as well as that's also put pressure on the um the other parties around around gender representation but uh, with with the independence though i think one thing you'll you'll hitting on there that the coalition has been seen to having a pretty bad time on on gender issues and particularly we've been dealing with uh, the, the fallout of a number of quite horrific um, incidents that have happened and legal pro- proceedings and the like that have gone on in Parliament itself. Um, do you think that's the other reason why that's, that's galvanised some, um, some women independents to run? Yeah, I think it really has. Um, so I think in the, particularly over if we look at the last um, two years or sort of since COVID, I think the combination of... Um, continuing sort of dithering around climate change and then you couple that with just epic mismanagement of some really critical and important issues around how we understand equity and equality in this country um, I think has really given rise to a 
like a deep sense of um, galvanizing frustration yep. um, in, in, in some settings. And I think it's interesting that we're seeing that concentrate mainly in liberal safe seats. So to me, I'm reading that as a frustration of um, a machinist approach in those settings that doesn't resonate uh, resonate with um, you know the electors in those settings and women saying this is ridiculous. Um, something something needs to shift. And and you talked about how hard it is to run as an independent. Um, my sense is that women get that in a way that men don't um, and that women I think are generally very reluctant to put themselves forward because mm-hmm. of how hard it is I think it's interesting that if we're to characterise this group of independents they tend to be uh, sort of professional women who worked really hard and, and probably navigated some fairly difficult uh, challenges in their personal and professional spaces but they also are tending on the whole to be a little bit older so this isn't necessarily women at the beginning of their careers there are some younger women and there's some but not a huge amount of diversity in that but I think the fact that we're, we're seeing um, older women who are relatively senior in their field whose kids are you know old enough to deal with their own stuff now um, sort of turn around and go well I now have the opportunity to do this they've got the confidence in themselves to say something's got to happen and I think there's also a sense that there's been a lot of um, campaigning and uh, commentary and uh, attempts to achieve change within the existing structures and it's not working mm-hmm. um, and so there comes a point where it's just like well how long am I going to complain about it at what point do I have to flip over into actually taking more direct action by putting myself into the space where the change happens. So I, I think there's a, there's a direct correlation between that and the impact of COVID. Um, but I think we also need to just t- do a little bit of um, kind of historical analysis that Morrison wasn't doing well on gender before COVID. Like he, yep. he had made some fairly serious missteps, um, you know, and not forgetting that Tony Abbott was the Minister for Women when this government was first elected. So there's been a bit of a a slow burn that I think really ramped up around around COVID. And then you see this, this, I guess, sense of um, frustration and injustice happen through the the particularly gendered impact of that. And then at the same time, just barreling towards climate crisis with no real leadership. It doesn't surprise me, frankly, that mums um, or in some instances grandmas are the ones that go, you know what, someone needs to sort this out and possibly the ladies have got the skills to do that. Mm. I mean, it has been interesting, the problems they had prior to COVID and then now, and that seem to have accelerated those issues around uh, gender and equity and discrimination. But like you're saying, um, yeah, I, I think there's just yeah the, the fed upness is um, quite palpable, and also interesting is the the way in which it's actually attracting. A, I guess you'd call it we'd call it as a, a left could call it a cross class mm-hmm. sort of feeling or vibe or, or whatever materially that sort of going, um, you know, to different degrees across um, probably different socioeconomic backgrounds. But you know, we'd have to look in the you know I'm sure there's people writing things about this or researching it, but. I mean, anecdotally, that does seem to be there. It's definitely a, a live issue in, in uh, forums you, you go to and participate, whether it's online or, or outside. So 
I guess broadly, it's probably it's it's a positive thing for democracy that people, and particularly there are women out there who actually are putting their hands up and have a go. Like, yeah, we can say that it's fine. They might not share uh, left wing politics. They might, you know, agree on something. That's fine, but that's probably a good thing. Um, what do you think? Like, how how serious though do you think it's going to be? Like, um, I know it's you know we've talked about the rise of independence and minor parties isn't a new thing. It's been going on since really since um, nineteen ninety under Bob Hawke, that was the first time Labor, uh, you know, a a party, a government wasn't formed by the party that had the majority of um, the primary vote, you know, so it's come down to preferences for a very long time now. Yeah, so (laughs) is is it going to be that, that, what do you reckon? We're crystal ball gazing right now before we flip back to talking about some of the local manifestations of it, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, I guess, on balance, relatively excited by this I've been sort of increasingly looking at um, sort of what other ways that we can you know democratize democracy Um, what are some of the more sort of direct and influential ways that individuals and citizens can have have impact and I know that some people some of the independents running are running specifically with that kind of discussion um, in mind I think we've seen um, successful and less successful examples of where the voice of independence has been um, an, like an innovative drive or a ameliorating drive um, within within the parliament in in some useful in some useful and then in other instances I think less useful ways so I think some good examples um, you know Brian Harradine uh, fucked over the aid program and yep. um, the, the use of the A program for uh, reproductive health services as a trade-off for privatising Telstra. So that's that's a stunning example of the disproportionate power of a independent yep. who, <laughs> in politics. my universe, would never be in politics. Yeah. Um, I think conversely, we've seen um, sort of positive uh, reforms pushed through uh, from independence. I think we saw that when Gillard was prime minister and. Um, you know, people talk about that as being a challenging time in politics, but the, it was a high. There was a high um, uh, speed of uh, not speed volume, I guess, of legislation that was passed. So that showed that Parliament can actually be productive, mm. um, even where there's a, a crossbench, um, you know, holding power. I think someone like Jackie Lambie has emerged mm. as. I think a really good example of, um, you know, someone who we may have originally discounted because her sort of on-ramp to politics was, I think, originally through Clive Palmer. Is that right? UAP? Yeah, I think she started as a... Yeah, she she started out as a UAP and then very quickly, you know, got out of it. She seems to have emerged as her own person. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think in ways that demonstrate what it means to have a few voices in parliament who are guided by their internal ethics Mm. um as opposed to um you know everyone in parliament is guided by their internal ethics let's just be clear about what we would hope yeah some of that though is then having to be navigated through behind behind closed doors you know situations within um the major parties which isn't a terrible thing but it it can be very disconnecting for um you know the elector yep. um and it can mean that when you're looking at politics you're actually not seeing many points of views of, you know you lose some facets and nuance in the way the conversations come forward yeah that's right um and i like i looking at the group of you know take take writ large that group of independents um 
I'm, I think, I, I mean, I, why shouldn't we have to negotiate with difference in our democracy? Like, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a member of the party for, for reasons. I have, you know, we can have a whole conversation about that. But I, yeah. I think democracy is important and um, the negotiation of that and the capacity and skill to accommodate and move within multiple views and to have um, nuanced conversation yeah. and then for citizens to see themselves reflected in that is yeah. important for for you know, a belief in our government systems and for a faith in that democracy. And I guess I'm coming from a place of what does it look like when you don't have faith in that democracy is you storm the capital, um, you know, or or you start claiming that elections are rigged. So for me, I feel like this is an evolution towards something that could help us feel more confident in the democratic process. Yep. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it broadly, it's a it's a positive thing, but it hide, highlights. I think some of the negative aspects of, mm. of the way in which organised politics for in political parties has gone. We've spoken about it, and it is one of our our um, things we're very interested in on this show is talking about democracy in uh, the Labor movement, mm. and in particular in the in the Labor Party. Um, I, I think we've gotten to a point now, now since nineteen ninety, that in the past they just to I guess they kind of think, well, they're going to preference us anyway. Um, not a big deal mm. but we are going to the point now like in 2010 we had a hung parliament run by independents in the lower house effectively having the balance power um, we've had the greens uh, really make inroads in the, in the lower house um, it's getting to a point now and we'll see what the, the turnout is on the votes on the day on the 21st of may that i think labor can't just ignore or just have its strategy as oh but we'll get the preference um if if they get a, a you know if they can get up above thirty percent of the vote in electorates, they could actually find independents and greens getting elected to the House of Reps and holding um, government and Labor actually losing seats. Um, that just changes the ball game, and the question has to go back on Labor about what is it that's wrong with your organisation that means that there are quite genuine voices for a, you know I guess a progressive voice or whether it's on women or climate or or even issues of class and, and access. Um, that people are turning away. Um, the Greens are consistently getting 12 to 14 percent of polling at the moment. Um, some think, well, you know, it's about what they got last. No, it's actually an increase than previously. Uh, and we've got independents out there who are having a go. So I, I think it's, I don't know, it's my view. It's like, I think Labor needs to look at itself uh, in terms of how it's dealing with how open it is and how um, willing it is to have the processes in place to be open about allowing an, a more democratic and open organisation that people feel they can join and have a, have a go in as opposed to thinking it's a closed shop. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. And I think we see this play out on both sides, frankly, in, in the lead-up to the election about pre-selection shenanigans. Yeah. Now, the Libs took every single gold medal for pre-selection shenanigans, <laughs> like... Olympic level shenanigans right there. All the way to the federal but, court, I think. You know, the, yeah. the ALP wasn't yeah. without issues yeah. and, and without accusations of parachuting people into seats that in ways that seem to be in contradiction to um, rhetoric around diversity mm. and, and uh, representation. So there's, there's still clearly something happening there about sort of what representation really means and, and who is it who, who gets to be part of that. But I think one of the conversations that we 
haven't been having explicitly and should be having is about, you know, what are the on-ramps to political participation and representation? And in the ALP, and I I suspect, you know, the Liberals have their own, and the Nats have their own version of this, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a, I'm not even going to say sense. I think there's a, it's a fact that you've either got to be a lifer who worked your way up because you happened to decide to join the Young Labour Club when you were at uni when you were 18 or yeah. 19. Yeah. Um, or you find your way in through the machinery um, as a, a, a union official or a, um, an advisor on the Labour side or as an advisor on the, on the Liberal side. The other pathways, the more direct pathways of you know that we would term parachuting in, and I think we need to investigate what we mean by that language, mm. seem to have worked pretty well for men. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're a high-profile rich guy or a sporting uh, personality or a journalist, mm. and you're a man, you can be parachuting, particularly on the liberal side. That seems to work. I don't think Labor's clean clean on that. No, I, I was thinking we'll, Peter Garrett, for example. Who, yeah. You know, Peter may have Garrett had a record, but it was like, yeah, but you know. Yeah, yeah. um, we could speak for ages about all the the attempts. Um, (laughs) But when I look at at the particularly the women who were running, um, the big question I have is if there had been different entry points into participating in a party structure, would they have maybe run with the party Mm. instead? Yeah. and I don't think it's fair to look at someone who's, you know, given their life in various ways to public service and thought and contribution, who after very deep thought and and stealing themselves to be put forward into a structure that's probably going to crush them to some extent because mm. of, you know, patriarchy and all that fun stuff, um, to then say, well, why didn't you come up through a party? It's like, well, because I don't have a time machine and I can't go back in time and decide to associate myself with you in my youth. Like, there's got to be a better way. Yeah, there, there has to be, rather than that, that, that. I guess there's that doing time thing is attention versus um, someone who has done time, if you like, actually. You know, like you were saying before, you've got women who have gone and dedicated to their time to careers. You know, there are people who have you know, gone and become quite advocates in their own sectors of employment or the like and then have decided later on going you know what I, I might use my networks and I think I could actually value something and mm-hmm. they yeah can find that well no sorry you haven't done your time in, in the, in the organisation yeah. then there need, probably needs to there needs to be not probably there needs to be some way to, to I guess this goes to the arguments around um, things that, the, the big reform the the Faulkner um, Brax and Carr review talked about um, uh, using the example of the US where you have primaries and one of the arguments was amongst another a range of things around including making membership a lot easier and participation a lot easier was also that idea that you could actually get um, voices from different community groups but also I guess idea um, you know having processes to actually enable newer people to get involved as, as opposed to the time service. Um, you know, obviously, you know, uh, people have done their time and the organisation have got a right just as much as anyone else to, to run it. So they should, but, um, you know, there is that point where it's like, well, is the point really getting someone who's done their time or is the point actually getting the best possible candidate? Yeah, and I think we're, we're sitting underneath that is a commitment to diversity. Yeah. Um, 
then you, then you need to understand that the pathways are going to look different. And um, there's a, a fairly enormous amount of privilege that accrues um, to someone who's been in a position in their life to be associated with active party politics long enough to then emerge as a contender. Mm. Um, the fact is, if you're a woman, if you're a migrant, um, if you're indigenous, if you're poor, your pathway is going to look quite different. And there's going to be an internal family and community level process that you need to go through before you reach the point where you've identified in yourself the potential for leadership and representation. And that is a really hard journey to go on and to arrive at the point often relatively late in life that I think I can do this. Yep. At that, frankly, that is just a harder path to, to go down and, to, and it's a harder uh, moment to arrive at if you're if you're less privileged, just just a fact. I mean, we know that white guys who go to private school emerge from year twelve thinking they're going to be the prime minister. Most normal people don't do that. Yeah. And so, what does it actually? What has to happen in your life? And then and then what are the opportunities we can open? Yeah. So I mean, in the ACT, we're saying aspects of I guess the opportunities provided by people who decided to run as independents. Uh, and we're seeing a little bit of that crisis, I guess, for major parties in the ACT, um, where there's people who have just decided, oh, I, I want to run for politics and, and, and are having a go. Um, there is a considerable minority of people in the ACT who aren't quite happy with uh, both the major parties. Part of the problem, I think, is is actually more of a structural one about representation in, a, in the ACT. The ACT, while about 100,000 less than Tasmania, only gets the same level of federal representation as the Northern Territory, which is only just half of the ACT's population. So we get two senators, two MPs in the, in the House of Representatives, and that's it, while Tasmania gets five M, four MPs. Three MPs. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, sorry, we get three MPs, two senators, you're dead right. Uh, while in Tasmania it's five MPs and 12 senators, while in the Northern Territory, half the population, the ACT, so 55%, according to the Bureau of Stats, they get two and two. Uh, so, yeah, so one less than us, but much less. So what we then have in terms of this context, um, the contest in the ACT, it's always this sort of like, will Z get the quota? Uh, Z's the, uh, Z Zetelja is the... Uh, the Liberal, uh, very conservative Liberal, currently gets the Senate position. There are only only two Senate spots. Labor gets one, uh, the Liberals get the other. It's sort of how it's been forever. Uh, and there seems to be, again, uh, another big attempt by other players to actually have a go at trying to knock him off. Um, basically, it's an, almost a math game. You need something like 25 uh, inroads into that sort of 25 to 30% of people that vote Liberal in the ACT to change their vote and not preference them. Um, what do you think? Yeah, like I think you've definitely hit on something that there's a representational issue in the ACT because um, there's just nowhere to go. Yeah. Right? So there's no there's no space for variety or nuance um, within that. Um, and I, I think that particularly hits, I guess, the non-labour end of town. Mm. Um, and, you know, we can have a whole conversation about why people have you know, feelings about not wanting to vote Labor. Um, but I think that means that for, for those who don't want to, for whatever reasons, they're kind of really limited in, in where else they can go. And we've seen um, the Greens try really, really hard 
um, to take that other Senate seat and I think that they will continue to do that. My spidey senses says that this could be the election where that could potentially be feasible. Um, but I think it's interesting that what we're seeing is other independents emerge who are, you know, more green than Labor, uh, more green than the Liberal, um, sort of occupying a similar sort of um, sort of space there. And I, I do think that that is about that representation issue. I mm. think that for some it's about that that sort of gender issue as well and that sort of reaching that moment which is say I could put myself forward um, or having a network around you of people who've said you would be a really good representative and so people put their hand up in the spaces that they live and for those who are in Canberra then that's a that's a kind of tricky tricky space um, I think some of it is a specific reaction to Z mm. specifically yep. and probably Morrison as well um, so it would be interesting to see like someone like Pocock. I'm not quite sure whether he would put his hand up if you know it was Gary Humphrey still or Malcolm Turnbull still. Like I, I'm not I'm not quite clear about what we're reacting to um, on that side. Um, but it's fascinating, and I'm like I'm looking very. Cl- I would be voting below the line in this election because um, you know I have a particular joy for ticking boxes. Um, but the the preference flow I think is going to be really interesting. Um, but we do still also have some of those minor parties running as well here in the ACT. So there is a UAP candidate, there's an animal justice, and then there are those parties that have the names that mean the opposite. So the Sustainable Australia Party, which is actually about migration, and then the Medical Choice Party, which I think is anti-vax. Yeah, so we've got definitely got the whole range. We've got the whole gamut in the ACT. So, yeah, we've got that. Uh, and that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, I think David Pocock, uh, our listeners might not be familiar, particularly interstate or internationally, is, um, well, look, he's one of my rugby heroes. I, I love the Brummies. I, I love going to the games and all the rest of it. And he was a very successful rugby union player uh, who made a bit of a name of him for himself off um, off the turf, so to speak, uh, doing various sort of uh, climate change activism. And that's great. That's good. Um, other than that, we really don't know much about his politics, other than uh, he apparently, uh, I think his, his long-term partner was, uh, was was a member of the Greens. He was a member of the Greens at some point. But um, seemingly this, this Climate 200 mob, who are a, a, basically a big business outfit, a lobby group, has gone and bankrolled a number of independent candidates around the place if they match their stuff, and they've definitely gotten behind the, uh, Mr Pocock. Mm. And there's some considerable resources that have been thrown at him in terms of um, having a go. I guess the cynic in me is probably like, yeah, okay, he might have good climate politics and he does talk about social... And basically, it's the classic smaller liberal stuff as opposed to, I guess it's that whole thing, people being let down in the ACT by Sertesiologia who's repeatedly um, gone against uh, decisions of the population, whether it's um, decisions made by the ACT Assembly where the federal government at the moment can go and overturn decisions of the Assembly around assisted dying or dying with dignity, as we'd, as we'd call it, or gay marriage uh, in the past, uh, you know, equal rights for equal marriage. Those issues are, I guess, some of those things that are driving some of that frustration there, so that might be one of the reasons. There's another lady, um, Kim Rubenstein, was it? yeah, she's, she's running as well. I don't, I don't know anything much about her at, at all, other than... Probably another one of these professional people that's that yeah, running. Yeah, look, I, I know Kim and I, I rate her highly. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm I'm pleased for her that she's um, that she's running. 
Um, and you know you can check her out on, on her website and look at the things that she's written. She's written very prominently about gender representation, but she's also written quite prominently about um, constitutional reform and how we could think differently about representation to make it more accessible. So I'm quite excited by the conversation she's bringing about participatory democracy, which I, mm. I, I'm a democracy nerd, so I'm, I'm pretty uh, pretty uh, pleased with that. And also, like, bonus points that her running mate is also called Kim. So I think that is just a beautiful... It's like Kim's for Canberra. Yeah, the Kim's for Canberra. Which is, which oh, yeah. is pretty cool. Um, and look, I, and I don't want to speak on Kim's behalf, but I, I think she's potentially representative of that journey that we've been talking about, about someone who's been engaged in sort of various uh, important contributions. She's been an academic and a lawyer. Um, and, you know, finding a, a moment in time where uh, the willingness to step up seem, seems right. Um, I, I'm not, you know, I, I leave it to her. And I don't want to speak on, on sort of anyone's behalf about sort of why not via a party um, but I, I like it, to me that is that is a really uh, good example of people arrive at these moments in their lives and so where are the opportunities for them to step up into that potential that they see into the offering that they want to make and if they can't find that avenue through existing political structures then they will run as independence and like that's the situation that, 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 that we've um, that we've created um, I was going to say something else about Kim and now I can't remember what it is. Oh, yes, I wanted to speak about my own experience there um, in that I'm quite constrained in sort of what I could do in support of someone who I think is a, a, a very solid person. Um, obviously, I'm very supportive, you know, and I'll be campaigning for the Labour Party, but I can't do both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this party was like, can I, can I not do both? Can I not get behind a suite of awesome humans who exist yeah, no, that's on right. the ticket? Um, and so I find that quite frustrating, and and I kind of I haven't figured out a solution for that. But I, to me, it feels like if you know, as activists, what are our more creative solutions to be providing some form of support, you know, across a range of talented people, um, with without that sort of being perceived as a threat, I guess, to the to the labour ticket. Yeah, yeah. You know, and not wanting to suggest that Katie Gallagher isn't the most awesome representative of all time, because um, she is, um, and she should be the Prime Minister. That is my plug. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, as, as, as someone who wants to get behind talented women in particular, I've, I've found that constraint a little bit irksome. Yeah, it, 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 I, I think there's the straight jacket in the ACT. I, 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 like, I find myself going back to the game. The game's... The game's broken and it needs to be changed in the ACT and it does get very frustrating that there are very good um, candidates and also very frustrating in terms of uh, being a member of the Labor Party and seeing how narrow um, the the process is if you were to, to actually try to run uh, you know as a, as a left winger um, it's quite diffi- very difficult uh, in terms of getting there so yeah it is it is interesting um, but then also you know it nominally being a safe Labor country so to speak to the point where like um i think it's the seat of fenner is one of the safest labor seats in the country which is just nuts but um whether or not you've got the best candidate on it, well i don't know like you know um it's yeah, normally a game of watching how much of the independence of the greens how well they do 
uh, and then hoping that sort of may influence some things. But yeah, it's not much fun. I think the issue I think is actually after the election. I think we should be turning our more efforts into yeah electoral reform. Um, people in the ACT can campaign and um, have it legislated in, in Parliament for, for a greater representation. So Yeah, and I guess investigating what is the role and voice of, you know, grassroots, you know, activists and networks. Mm. Um, because I guess the other, the, sort of the flip side of that is is what if you are putting yourself forward as a Labor candidate but then have a significant network beyond... The Labor Party. So, what are the structures mm. um, that could help you help you activate um, activate that? And I, I guess I've just reached a point in my own political evolution and sort of looking at the context that we're in. It's like, um, you know, let's have no break on innovating and mm. how we actually engage in vibrant democracy. What are all of the nooks and crannies that need to be explored there? And um, that, that that's been quite a journey for me to arrive at this point of. Um, let's put all those options on the table and see see which ones work because I'm not seeing the current system um, covering any of us in particular levels of glory um, but I also you know if we situate this I guess within kind of the longer term arc of you know democracy um, I think democracy is going to be under threat if we can't find ways for people to feel inspired by it and to be engaged with it in ways that matter to them and that have meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we've seen anything out of the last you know, five years, is that you want a vibrant, engaged community in, invested in its um, democracy and confident in its governance. Yep. Because the alternative ultimately is fascism. Yep, that's right. And and I think in terms of that, that area of struggle around uh, you know a, a democratic and engaged community, I, I think one of the areas of struggle is actually in the Labor Party, so in the ACT, it's it's being joining and being part of that fight inside Labor for a more more democratic and open um, organisation. And heaven knows that's under threat at the moment. But we've uh, been shifting know, it like over yeah. time, so yeah, it's it's going the, the wrong direction. Possible. Well, it's possible, but it's starting to go in the wrong direction. But you know, it's for another another time. That one, you know, I'll get some hate mail, I'm sure, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Well, they're just trying to work out. They have. They need to change some rules for that. Um, but don't don't worry. They'll they'll try to do that. But anyway, big hello to our dear friends. Um, flipping back now in terms of that conversation about democracy and the, um, the greater participation and the like. Um, coming up uh, with the federal election, there are lots of effective ways to be involved. One is the the easiest one is to campaign locally. Uh, I guess we go to the, going back to the federal election itself, there are other ways that you can be involved that don't actually have to require, um, I guess, you know, finding yourself campaigning for organisations in a safe Labor seat. What, what, what would you suggest activists get up to this election if they feel like, what's the point? Yeah, I think this is where we need the time machine because I would have gone back like six months ago <laughs> and said that's the time to be active. Yep. Um, but, you know, I guess if we focus on the next um, three weeks, um, you know, I think there's still a reality that campaigning on the ground is important. Um, And so if you're looking at a seat and it's coming down to would you prefer this seat to be held by, you know, Labor or the Greens or a progressive independent rather than uh, an LNP member, then offer yourself up as as a human resource in in that seat, and there are, I think there are a bunch of different things that we can we can do in that context. And I, I one of the things that I like about the ALP is we've got a strong history of sharing those resources where they're where they're needed. 
um, I think for me one of the things that like, I think I've always known but it's, it's kind of become a bit depressing in this election is how hard it is to elevate issues um, and then campaign behind issues and I, I think we've seen or I've seen in the work that I've been doing um, you know how hard it is to get a focus on gender issues for instance yep. um, and sort of to get some traction in that space and I, I think there's some more deep thought required around sort of what that looks like I think we had a you know there's a there's an interesting model with get up and the sort of the, the uh, they used to do those sort of policy um, analysis where they would like do the, com- the comparative policy analysis I, I don't for me that's insufficient mm. because you, you get that on polling day I've mostly seen that just confuse people mm. um, you know particularly people who who are le- less familiar with the process or, or who might not have English as a second language they look at that as an instruction and it's not that helpful but it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't influence anything so as an activist you want to shift things yeah um, so I'm not quite sure what the answer to that is but I think that there's a longer game of influence rather than just comparison yep. um, and of making things an election issue or of making things a policy issue so they're actually locked away before they're an election issue um, uh, you know I, I work in uh, international development and this is one of the first times that I've seen the volume of the aid program come into play in an election issue and that happened by dint of the timing of what's happening in Solomon Islands, it wasn't going to be an issue otherwise, and I, I'm not sure that there was any kind of campaigning around that. So I think there are two two things to in answer to your question, just to sort of sum up my vague thoughts. <laughs> um, no, no, you're right. Is you know, human labour is still part of campaigning. Yep. And so you, that is a thing that you can. And there are a bunch of different ways that you can um, that you can do that. Um, but then I think if if what you want to do is be shifting the resp- the dialogue and the response that's a that's a longer term process of you know campaigning yep um, you know inside and outside formal political structures I think yeah shifting the grounds of the debate yeah. for example so I think look say for example the climate change argument's an interesting one uh, and since you know we can look back historically it's it's evolved over the last forty years uh, in terms of where that's at to the point now it's very mainstream and I'm but it didn't get there just because one day people woke up. It mm. was because of um, activism and debates and ideas and pushing forward policies through you know a, ra- a whole range of civilized civil society organisations. So I think it goes appeals the the same thing. Like the the election is an opportunity to canvas side, but you're campaigning for parties that have got particular policies. But you're also, I guess, you know, into the future, you need to be out there and trying to help shape those ideas. Um, Further, I guess we want to push the debate further on democracy and diversity and representation and that sort of stuff. But look, um, in the ACT, you can also go and help out. Uh, yeah, we, in in um, uh, there are seats like uh, Monero, mm-hmm. in Monero and Gilmore, for example, where you can go and campaign uh, down the south coast, for example, if you want to do that and support the candidates out there uh, that are in less safe seats than the ACT. That's definitely something to do. But you can also do some local stuff too. So, you know, um, enjoy doing that, I guess. Is there anything else you, you want to... Um, we'll, we'll probably uh, have another pre-election chat uh, on this show on Dole Capital in, uh, in the week leading up to the election. But is, is there anything else you want to talk about at all with yeah. this topic of independence and just, minor parties? Yeah, Ben, just two things, um, you know, little nuggets, I think, for, for our listeners to take away. Um, 
uh, Alex Turnbull <laughs> made a really interesting observation on um, Twitter uh, recently about the the rise of the independence and the sort of the tear wave in particular. And one yeah. of his observations is that there's um, some part of the press gallery that doesn't appreciate this because if there's a crossbench held by independence, it means that journalists might have to work harder to understand what's happening mm. rather than having the stories of the day handed to them by whoever their, their inside source is. Or being taken um, out for drinks. And I, I, yeah, I yeah. thought that was a really um, apt observation that I, ha- I hadn't quite appreciated, but um, it will require some actual journalistic work and, and uh, a, a deeper engagement with understanding the issues rather than being fed the lines. Um, mm-hmm. And I am 100% pro that, so... Maybe I'm more pro-independence than I thought I was. Um, <laughs> I think the other thing also is, um, particularly if you look at a seat like Josh Frydenberg's seat where he's simultaneously the treasurer and a local member, um, is I guess that duality is when you, when you have a role that has a national um, focus but you also have a local seat. And I, what I'm sensing is the challenge in navigating that. Mm. Um and that particularly when it's a safe seat, is banking that safety instead of engaging with your community and then perhaps not treating that community with the respect it deserves when it says we're not entirely sure you're working in our in our best interests. Uh, and uh, there's been some interesting things playing out about sort of where debates will happen in that, yep. in that seat um, that to me suggests that um, increasingly what communities want to be able to see is um, a locally kind of held and directed form of interrogation of who the members are yep. or of who the representatives are um, that I think we've been dismissive of in safe seats and that and that's, um, might feel folksy if you're the treasurer um, but actually, these are the people who are going to elect you and you can't be the treasurer unless they do elect you. And so managing, managing, um, I guess, that national focus role with actually being a local member, which is always very hard when you are a senior member of, of either party. I'm using uh, Frydenberg as an illustration here. Um, to me, that suggests that there's, there's some more um, work to be done or... Um, a link to be more strongly maintained yep. um, to to your electors and to your community that perhaps neither side has um, maintained their yeah. their skills on as well as we could have. No, absolutely, and I, I think yeah that that goes out to those liberal safe seats as well as Labor safe seats mm. is is well how are you actually dealing with engaging with people in the electorate um, and and key those feelings of not being listened to or represented yeah so look um, thank you so much for coming in and talking with us uh, today Amy we'll have you know we'll obviously have another chat again soon and big hello there to Jacob he's very busy at the moment well hopefully we'll have him back uh, in the next couple of weeks mm-hmm. uh, have a lot of fun campaigning out there and we hope to get this show out as soon as we can you've been listening to Dole Capital uh, you can check us out on Facebook on Twitter we're active on Twitter as um, Dole Capital uh, or you can check out our Patreon as well. Um, if you subs- listen to this show for the first time, why not leave us a review or subscribe, and we'll have more content coming soon. Thanks. Thanks, Ben.